Hello, and welcome to season two of the Collegiate Ministries podcast. This season, we will be focusing on issues of mental health and college-age young adults in partnership with The Wellness Project, which is an initiative of Campus City Wesley and Studio Wesley, along with the Florida United Methodist Foundation. My name is Heather Pancoast, and I am one of the co-directors of the Gator Wesley Campus Ministry at the University of Florida and Santa Fe College in Gainesville, Florida. As we begin, I'd like you to know that some of these interviews may contain sensitive material around the topic of mental health that could be difficult to hear for some of our listeners. Additionally, this podcast was produced for informational and educational purposes only and is not meant to replace the advice of your therapist or doctor. We are so glad you are here and hope that this podcast is meaningful and helpful to you in your journey to mental wellness. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wellness Project's Collegiate Ministry Podcast. My name is Heather Pancoast, and I am here today um, with Alejandra Salemi. And we are just really excited to be with you today to talk more about the work of mental wellness. And I'm so happy to ask Allie to introduce herself and tell you a little bit about herself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, My name is Alejandra, uh, or Ali, if that works for you. Um, I'm a graduate of the University of Florida, uh, where I received a bachelor's and a master's in public health in 2019 and 2020. Um, I worked at the Gator Wesley Foundation for, I guess, four years, uh, working in various areas, um, really focusing on both like wellness components, mental health uh, conversations, and also a lot of, um, you know, centering around social justice. Um, And then after finishing my time at UF, um, I decided to pursue a a degree in theology, which turned into a master's in theological studies. Um, So I'm currently a second year at Harvard Divinity School, um, where I really focus on the intersections of religion and public health, um, as well as how, um, you know, religion, ethics, and politics kind of come together into the world that we know uh, today. And so I'm really passionate about mental health and excited to talk to you all about this topic. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I will tell everyone out there in the listening world, because you can't see her, that Allie is wearing her Gator sweatshirt right now, not her Harvard sweatshirt. So I'm just (laughs) appreciative of that. Um, Well, for those of you that are new to our podcast and haven't yet listened, um, we are tackling each week a different topic around um, mental health and mental wellness, specifically in the population of college-aged young adults. And so today, this is our last episode of the series, um, and we've invited Allie to talk with us um, from a few different perspectives. Um, clearly, Allie is finishing her time as a college-aged person. She'll be a young adult for a while, but um, she's getting near to the end, but has experienced in her life um, being a college-age young adult and what that means in terms of her own mental wellness. So we've asked her to speak some um, uh, from that perspective, but also, as you heard in her introduction, Allie brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the table when it comes to the work of uh, mental health and wellness. And so we're going to ask her to speak some from that perspective as well, hoping that today's episode can really be kind of a bookend to this podcast series, bringing it all together, helping to put into real life context from someone who is living and breathing what it means to be um, a young adult in the world right now, um, the importance of mental health. Um, in campus ministry. So I'm just going to jump in and actually ask you that question first, Allie. This is a question that I've asked every single one of the interviewers 
um, that we've talked to so far, which is why does mental health matter in the setting of campus ministry? Yeah, I mean, I think that in the setting of of every life chapter, um, I think mental health is often forgotten about. I think we really focus oftentimes on the physical body that we live in, but often think that the mental component of it is just a given. And so um, I think mental health matters at all stages, but specifically in campus ministry settings or, or just campus uh, campus settings. Um, this space is extremely stressful, whether you're going to a small school, a local school, a big name school, wherever you go, there is this inherent competition or kind of expectation and pressure that is placed on students, um, both with grades and extracurriculars. Um, it, there is just so much that is expected of us. And I think that our mental health is oftentimes one of the first things to go. I think there is this kind of hustle mentality that is kind of unspoken in kind of student communities, whether it's high school or younger or older in college settings, um, where we're expected to kind of sacrifice everything for the sake of a good GPA, um, you know, publishing research, getting involved with all these extracurriculars. And I think that as students, we're under so many different barriers that kind of prevent us from getting access to care. So things like maybe being first generation, maybe the social identities that we hold, like being potentially queer, being, you know, a woman or transgendered or non-binary, being um, of a different race or ethnicity, uh, even where we were born, if we're international students or domestic students, all of these different identities can really prevent us from getting care um, because of the way that the system is set up, both Federally, the universal like healthcare system is very expensive, but also campus ministries are often not well equipped with the resources necessary to care for the vast need of mental um, mental challenges and mental illness that occurs to students during this this time of their lives. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think you've you've brought about such great points in terms of the vast. Um, difference one student to the next and how important it is that we recognize and remember that no student walks into a campus ministry um, with the same um, background, with the same family situation, with the same life experience. That's so important to remember. Well, would you mind telling us a little bit about your experience, your experience navigating mental health services while in college, your own journey of, of mental health while you were in college. I mean, you start, still are in college, so that's still happening, but um, maybe tell us a little bit about that for you personally. Yeah, for sure. I think I would like to preface all of this with saying that I'm not trying to villainize campus uh, mental health facilities. I think that they are doing incredible work. Um, I'll talk later about my own experience working for UF's uh, Counseling and Wellness Center. Um, so by no means is this a dig or some type of critique of, this, of, of the people who work there. It's more of a critique of the system and of the way that the university structure kind of withholds um, care for students as they need it. So for, for me personally, um, I think for a long time, I felt really lucky that I wasn't like, quote unquote, born with mental illness. Like I had experienced friends growing up pretty early on that were experiencing a lot of like body dysmorphia, a lot of like eating disorders, um, even self-harm pretty early on. And so I, I remember witnessing that and thinking like, wow, like genetically, I wasn't born with that. Like, I'm so lucky. I'll never have to face that. Um, and then I got to college mm -hmm. and I started realizing how challenging it was to really keep up with what was expected of me. Um, I'm also an immigrant and a Latina and unfortunately 
unfortunately, the UF is in Florida. It is not representative of the diversity found in the Florida, like collective state uh, demographics. And so even finding my own community was really difficult. Um, and so I, you know, started dealing a little bit with like anxiety and, you know, feeling really nervous about grades, but I figured it was something that was very simple and could kind of be swept under the rug. Um, my sophomore to junior year, I think it was that summer, um, some pretty drastic changes happened in my family. Um, some divorce uh, situations happened in my family. Um, and at the time, I remember just going into a very deep kind of mental distress. I think there was a lot of pressure on me um, and uh ideas of like depression and um, anxiety really took over my body. Uh, I was actually at that time working for Gator Wesley. And I remember Heather, Heather and I, we had, we had so many conversations on this. And I, I remember so clearly you telling me that I had to go seek services. Like I, I know for a fact that it was because you spoke up and told me like, you know, you need to go to the CWC, which is the counseling, um, the counseling facility here at UF, we call it the CWC, Counseling and Wellness Center. Um, you encouraging me to do that. I was like, okay, this is, this is important. I like, there was times where like, I couldn't get out of bed. I like was very, very, very close to flunking out of UF. Um, like my GPA was really bad. Um, and so it was because someone knew the signs and symptoms that they were able to step in and do something about it. Um, and I think that's, you know, seeing the therapist that I saw, um, Dr. Megan Sixby, she, 100% like changed my life. I think it was the first time that I ever like gave myself the space to unpack all of these like difficult thoughts and almost give myself the grace to be sad and, and mourn and feel anxiety. Like sometimes we just, a lot of times with mental health though, it's, there's not like one solution fix all. There's not a simple solution to things. Sometimes we just need tools or space or people who will hold us in that, in that frustration or in that you know, heaviness. Um, and for me, I think the CWC was exactly that. And I, I know that I came out of that experience so much better. And I, to this day, use tools that I learned in counseling to have like healthier boundaries, healthier relationships with myself, with my closest family and with the people I attract with every day. And so um, I'm very, very proud and very open about talking my experience, uh, talking about my experiences with therapy. I openly talk about it with my close family, with friends, with strangers. I think part of the challenge is the stigma around it. And there is not one look to like mental unwellness. It's truly something that we all experience. And even just talking about it and just owning the fact that we all need help sometimes is, is helpful for destigmatizing this conversation. Yeah. Thank you. That's an incredible point. Um, which I mean, probably segues into this next question a little bit. Um, which is what do you wish that your family, friends, your campus ministers, um, others in your life would have known at the time to best support you in your journey of mental wellness? Yeah, and I mean, the journey of mental wellness, I think, is important to focus in. There is no like checkpoint of like, after my last therapy session, I was healed and perfect and life was wonderful. <laughs> like there. I have, you know, wait, what? That doesn't happen? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry to ruin everybody. Ruin everybody's like perfect uh, hope, I guess. Yeah, mental health. Um, I remember my therapist talking about it so clearly. It's not that we like get over it and like cross a check, you know, a finish line and we're suddenly healed. Mental health is more of like the boundaries, kind of like, and on a highway, we have these boundaries to keep us on the road. That's what mental health is, right? Like the road keeps going and it might turn and change and might have potholes, but those boundaries can help us stay at least on the road moving forward. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so saying all of that, I think that one thing that would have helped me in my own journey is, um, I think that the honesty of, of people being okay with me not being okay, right? And that's different than noticing signs and symptoms of distress or of potential like self-harm or something that is that is really dangerous. That is different than people being sad and not being expected to pull it together and put on a fake face, you know, like a fake smile. I think as a society in kind of conversation with the stigma that we have around mental health, we're also collectively really uncomfortable with like grief and mourning and sadness and depression. Like we don't know how to, we don't know how to deal with those things. So oftentimes collectively we go to like fixing it automatically. Um, and that's, I mean, I think that all of those sentiments are maybe, maybe come from a good place, right? Like, I don't think that people are ill-intended when they try to give us, you know, suggestions or, or tips of how to like pull ourselves together. But at the same time, like these sentiments sometimes do have to be kind of lived out and experienced. And so sometimes the best advice that you could give someone or the best way to cheer someone up is to recognize your own limitation in your scope and refer them to someone who is literally trained and has gone through years of education to actually serve um, people going through mental illness or mental dis, uh, unwellness uh, through tools and practices that um, are actually more helpful in like a clinical setting or mm -hmm. even in, like a practical setting. Um, so I think mental, mental wellness is definitely a team sport. Like we all have our role to play in supporting each other in this community. And at the same time, it's really important for people to kind of know their scope of care for example, like you're not going to go to your cardiologist about brain surgery. You're not going to go to your pediatrician about, you know, any like a broken, well, maybe a broken bone, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. The point is everybody has their role to play and knowing your own role and your friends and family's lives is really helpful to make sure that you don't overstep or understep. Yeah, that's great. Well, I want to transition a little bit, as I mentioned at the beginning and talk um, more from your kind of academic and professional experience. You mentioned that you worked at the campus and well, not campus, sorry, uh, counseling and wellness center for a while. You obviously studied public health, um, have a master's degree in it. Um, and so uh, just maybe take a second, if you wouldn't mind, and just speak from your experiences professionally and academically and in your studies about the importance of this work of mental wellness. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, without like boring everybody with a bunch of stats, I think it is important to understand like the prevalence of mental distress. I, um, as Heather mentioned, I worked at the Counseling and Wellness Center for about a year and a half, almost two years, um, and ended up leading uh, kind of suicide prevention programs and really encouraging faculty, staff, students to become aware of signs and symptoms of emotional distress. Um, and a lot of it ended up being with kind of the more like fatal and extreme components of mental unwellness, which is suicide. Um, and even suicide itself, there, I mean, one in 10 college students usually have suicidal ideation. And so that, that alone is a really high statistic and it doesn't account for, you know, the number of students have depression, anxiety, have, you know, eating disorders, um, all of these different components of trauma. I think with that as well, we as a society carry a lot of internalized trauma as well that can lead to mental distress. Most people that start developing um, uh, any type of mental disorder, oftentimes it'll develop in their early 20s, which is exactly when we have all of these young adults experiencing a lot of newness at the same time. So it's almost like this perfect 
not perfect storm, but it's this first perfect environment for, you know, a newfound freedom, maybe experimenting with drugs and alcohol, uh, exploring sexuality, uh, and also like our biology, our chemical, you know, our, our neurochemical biology starts to become more concrete where, you know, different mental illnesses can kind of start to emerge. And like me, families change when, kids leave home, sometimes families fall, fall apart and, you know, family dynamics start to change. Maybe unfortunately close ones die. And so there's so many ex life experiences that happen in our early twenties um, that I think is often kind of under, uh, underreported maybe, or, un, you know, not spoken about too much. Um, but I think professionally as well, I have, I have seen this really unfortunate need of people wanting to talk about mental health and looking for resources, but not really knowing where to go. I think, you know, oftentimes I was, you know, this kind of bright eyed, bushy tailed new employee at the counseling and wellness center. And I was like, we're going to like bring everybody resources and it's going to be great. And what I was really shocked by was it wasn't so much that people don't know where to go or are like, you know, trying to negate something that's very, that's, that's real happening in their, in their minds and bodies. The problem oftentimes was that there just wasn't space. Um, a quick breakdown to how a lot of campus ministers, sorry, um, college <laughs> mental health uh, spaces work um, is they work more on an acute model uh, rather than like a long-term model. So if you picture, um, you know, a therapist that you've seen for years and years and years, or even inpatient settings where you go somewhere and stay for weeks or months or years uh, to receive care, those fall under the umbrella of long-term care. Campus ministries are intended for acute care, meaning that they really cap out at about six to eight sessions, typically per student, and not even every student gets that many sessions. And so if you're looking to like find ways to cope with like test anxiety, like that's maybe something that the counseling and wellness center or other similar spaces in college, uh, college campuses can help you with. But if you're looking to unpack like sexual trauma, like distress from, you know, uh, you know, your identity, like, like minority stress components, any type of really complex, um, you know, conversations, most college wellness spaces don't have the capacity and the people power to hold that much space. Um, and so again, it goes back to college, uh, college wellness spaces typically are free for students, but as soon as you get referred out and have to go see a, a provider in the community, they're no longer free, right? So you're looking for someone who is maybe charging you up, you know, $30, $25 is pretty cheap, maybe upwards of $80 per session. Um, and college students oftentimes just don't have that money. And so I think I've mentioned this already during this podcast, but destigmatizing these conversations is 100% one of the biggest issues, uh, one of the, the biggest hurdles to tackle, especially in minority communities. The other kind of more macro issue is just the structure itself. It's not really intended to cater for college students and the financial barriers, the kind of emotional chapters that they're going through in this season of life. And so it's complex. What we're talking about is massive. It's got so many different components, but um, I guess that's a little bit of what I saw during my time working there. Mm -hmm. Well, and this, you know, isn't a question that, that I had thought of beforehand, but in listening to you talk, and I know you mentioned it at the beginning, but would you be willing to just speak for a minute about this kind of intersection of, of students, college age students, 
receiving services, having to speak with their parents about it, talk to their parents about it. You know, speaking of stigma, if they've got a family situation or dynamic where maybe there's mental health issues in the family and or resistance to their child seeking mental health services. I mean, what, what did you see or kind of how, how did you see that played out? Yeah. So um, I think one of the components that is beneficial about like campus wellness spaces, kind of like the counseling and wellness center is that all of those things are anonymous to an extent. So like your parent can't call the CWC and ask if their child is going like that is a HIPAA violation. Um, Most college students are above the age of 18, meaning that they are adults. And so there's almost this like privacy and kind of freedom for the student to pursue those resources if they feel called to. But once you start going outside to other providers, a lot of times college students are still on their parents' insurance. I know I am still on my parents' insurance. Um, And so oftentimes if you're on like a family medical plan, your family can get records, uh, like even just like like records of what you've been charged uh, financially, um, they can get records. And so, you know, they can start asking questions and it might kind of out you without wanting to begin having those conversations. Um, so that's, a, that's a huge, again, barrier of what, what, um, the limitations of, of, um, college mental health spaces have at the same time, the other kind of more personal component of it is that, you know, oftentimes every family dynamic is obviously very different. And I think that we're seeing families who are comfortable talking about emotions and, and, and mental wellness and all of these different, uh, themes that are emerging as we become a little bit more destigmatized on this topic. But the reality is for a lot of families, we, you know, people do not talk about their emotions. They don't talk about confrontation in specifically minority communities, specifically with our international students, but also, you know, domestic born uh, minority communities. Um, sometimes there's this misconception, misinformation around what mental and mental illness is. And so it's, it's, quickly shut down right like you can you can pray away your anxiety or pray away your your depression or what what have you or you know like we just don't do that stuff like you just you know pull yourself together and put on your brave space and uh that itself can be really triggering for students if they go and finally have the courage to talk about this and the closest people in their life are not willing to hold space for that and again sometimes I want to give people grace that it's not ill-intended perhaps like I think that there is so much kind of deconstruction that needs to happen on this topic but the reality is like mental health can't wait right mental health is something that is oftentimes very urgent and so we need to figure out how to deconstruct on one hand and also provide aid in the other Mm -hmm. um and I think for students of you know whether it's you know, discerning their queer identity or talking about like the impacts of racism that they face, um, all of these different components. It's something that is very urgent. We need to discuss it quickly without having to also, you know, tackle the hurdle of, but, but insurance, but finances, but like stigma and community beliefs, like people need help and we need to address that as ethically and as quickly as we can. Mm. Thank you. So I'm asking, you know, I started off this interview by asking you a question that I've asked every other um, person we've interviewed for this podcast. And the same is with the last question. Um, And so the question is this, if there's one idea, concept, word um, that you would make sure that every one of our listeners understood, heard, um, took home with them um, about their mental wellness today, what would that be? And when I said word, it doesn't have to be like one word, but you you know what I mean? Just a good word, a concept, something you'd want them to know. 
Yeah. So I'm actually going to give you a phrase. Um, it's a phrase on a sticker on my water bottle because I am that millennial Gen Zer that has too many stickers on my water bottle. Uh, <laughs> it was actually handed out at a tabling event when I was working at the Counseling Wellness Center. And it says, mental health is for everyone. It's that simple, but it's so true. Mental health is for everyone, whether you are old and have never thought about going to counseling, whether you are a child struggling with bullying at school, whatever it is, whether it's marriage counseling, couples counseling, or individual uh, personal conversations, like mental health is for everyone. With that being said, I also want to recognize and name the racism in the medical community and the kind of by proxy, the like mental health community, both that, you know, experiences of racism and also uh, those of minority identities oftentimes have greater barriers in actually getting the resources that they need. And at the same time, we oftentimes don't have culturally competent therapists who understand the lived experience, right? Like we all have such a different life story and finding therapists that can understand us is really important. And so I just really want to say, you know, mental health is for everyone. And at the same time, I I really applaud specifically those POC, BIPOC, uh, minority students who are currently working to become counselors or to become licensed. Like we need more of more people of color working in the space so that we can provide for the drastically underrepresented communities of Black, Indigenous, Latino, Latinx, um, you know, queer identities, like all of these different communities that don't have enough therapists to go to, we need more of them. And so as we continue to believe that mental health is for everyone, we need to create an environment and a space that actually upholds that belief. Mm -hmm. Because currently, I believe that mental health is for everyone, but the system is not designed for everyone. And that has got to change. Preach, preach, Allie. That's awesome. Um, thank you so much for giving us your time, your heart, your wisdom, your experience. Um, I will say as, um, you know, of all the people that I'm interviewing for this podcast, I think I know you the best. We've spent the most time, um, together and to have watched you, um, so bravely, um, engage in this work personally and professionally is an inspiration. And I, I just know that, um, these words that you've spoken today will be inspirational to someone else as well. And I've said this from maybe the moment that I met you that, and I've told a million people that Ali Salami is going to change the world. And I, I know you're doing that um, every day in your, in your world that you live and you will continue to do that. And so thank you for sharing yourself with us for just a little bit today. Um, stay warm in Boston. I'm, I'm just really concerned about your temperature and your <laughs> the weather up there. <laughs> I am too. So I am too. <laughs> Just thank, thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you. No, I was gonna say if you ever if you ever need me, need me, I'll be the marshmallow walking around, <laughs> throwing on layers to try to keep warm. Yes, yes with all the layers. What all time. the layers. Well, have a wonderful day. Thank you for your time, and um, we hope to see you soon. Yeah. Thank you all. Bye. <laughs>